0: Now this episode is a bit different to what we usually do and it's just in line with what I'm kind of interested in at the moment. So it's well it's very interesting and it's educational and I think that most people will be interested in this because most people took the mainstream route of education and school and going into mainstream education but at the moment I'm very interested in and intrigued by alternative forms of education. So we interviewed what Kira said when I contacted them. She said the head and the heart of the school. Basically, the Wicklow Democratic School is um, a school that is on the basis of child-led education. So uh, essentially, a child can come in and choose what and if They're going to learn that day and then it's ran by facilitators who accommodate for the for the learning show give them the tools on where to find information how they can learn and giving them an environment that is encouraging and supportive for depending on each child um but anyway yeah they describe it much better than I do so if you're interested please keep on listening and if you like the podcast please do review it and big, big thank you to Kira and Khalil who took the time out of their day to come on the podcast. Do you want
1: to just start out by saying what is the Wicklow Democratic School or what the ethos is?
2: Um. So the, well, the ethos is uh, an environment for children to self-direct their own learning um, as opposed to coming in and having a, a limited, you know, curriculum to choose from Um but they also have a say in how the school is run. Everything from where the money is spent to what they spend their time doing. And our job as facilitators is to help them get there, figure that out.
1: That's so interesting. So for the where the money is spent, can you give an example of like what they would have
2: a choice over? Uh, anyone could write a... So we have a school meeting twice a week and anyone can write a proposal, staff or student. So it's, you, you might get a student coming in saying... Uh, recently, for example, one would have been, uh, we need a pickaxe because we want to build a bike uh, jump. They've already built a jump, um, what do you call it? A, a pump, track, a pump oh, track. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's it needs to be redone. So they need a pickaxe. So they made a proposal. They found out how much it costs and where to get it. And that was approved by the school meeting, which is whoever shows up to the school meeting. Uh, or it could be um, to go on a trip somewhere. It could be to buy a piece of equipment or a book. Um, It doesn't have to be something that everyone will use, but uh, okay, usually it is. Um, So, yeah. That's amazing, though, because
3: like, you know, when you're in school and like if you're in like Home Ec, for example, and you're like using the same scrubber from like six years ago and you're (laughs) like, can you get me more? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it soon. But like nothing ever comes from it. How many people are in the school? Is it a a big Uh, school? We're
2: still small. We have 40 now, 46. Seven students, forty six, forty seven students. Okay, so it is small. Oh but wow, it, really brilliant, small. though. Yeah, the the pandemic did slow us down. Definitely, mm, of we course. were on a, a trajectory, and then it all kind of we had to sort of go wait, <laughs> how does this transfer online? It doesn't yeah. really very well, not mm. not terribly well. So that did slow us down, but um, but we're gathering momentum again now, which is very exciting.
1: Mm. How did you navigate uh, the pandemic and trying to get t- uh, parents involved with
2: learning at home? Yeah. Do you want to speak to that?
4: Yeah, it was really difficult. Um, I mean, I don't know if any education really works very well with having to do that, especially because the classes are, you know, they're volunteer. You don't have to go to classes. Um, I think that in fairness, one area we were strong during the pandemic was people who needed individual support who were struggling with their mental health. At that time, we were able to give them a lot more support than probably mainstream schools could because you're focusing on where people's needs are at. So we set up a lot of social things during the pandemic so people could still connect with each other, whether it was, uh, you know, discussions or uh, the younger kids being able to play Minecraft together or, um, you know, one-on-one <laughs> chats games. with people about how they were, how they were getting on and handling the isolation. But um,
2: actually that that's probably, that was a bigger that became our focus. It wasn't about classes. The kids are were getting on and doing whatever they were going to learn, they were going to, they were doing anyway. Whatever they wanted to spend their time doing, they were doing anyway. But whereas our focus became much more that sort of helping people stay connected and looking out for their mental health. Um, we did a few, th- I know we did like an online NBC, non-violent communication course and stuff like that, but It was very much more focused towards helping each other get through this, Mm. you know, as opposed to what classes are you doing? Yeah. Uh, the little ones, the parents would come on, we'd have a scheduled time slot and the parents would come on and go, I'm really sorry. They just don't want to come in. They're outside playing. And we're like, happy days. Let them play. <laughs> um, what are the age ranges? Um, like, is it, it's a primary school, is it? Or and secondary. And secondary. So okay. currently we have five, to, actually our youngest is just gone six since Christmas. So six to 18.
3: Okay. Wow. And yeah. do you find the older that the kids get, the less likely they want to learn? Or do you think because they are... You know given that option it's like oh maybe because like we we're never given that option you're like you have to learn mm. you get thrown in there you have to go to school you have to do all this if you don't go to school you get in trouble if you don't you know do your homework you get in trouble so do you find now that they have an option it's more likely to uh,
2: they want to do it in my experience it's the opposite the older they get the more focused they get oh wow okay. when the younger ones play mostly it's play-based learning um there's so much learning that happens when they're playing. That is their work. Mm. And as they get older, they be and even in that, they you will they will have their little obsessions and they want to know more about different things. But as they get older, then definitely they become more focused. It's hard to sometimes to figure out what do I want to spend my time doing. I'll let you talk a little bit more about that, Khalil. But um as they get older they become more focused because there's starting to see oh wait there's an end to this and then what Mm -hmm. and um yeah so but if they have learned to intrinsically motivate themselves if their motivation is coming from their own desire to learn something then they're gonna learn it
3: yeah Mm -hmm. that's amazing though because like it's you know I you know, didn't know this existed until you guys Till Keelan told me, I just think that's incredible because giving someone the option to, it's always like, oh, well, if I'm giving the option to, it's like telling a kid, no, you can't do that. Then they want to do it. Do you know, it's all, it's like that kind of way. And I feel like if I was given that option, I'd be more inclined to, you know, put my head down, but because in school, like I was in, you know, a a school that was like all, you know, grade-based, you know, you had to be the top of the class, you had to be the best. And like, there was no help for, you know, like, cause I struggled with dyslexia, dyscalculia, and I went to an Irish school, but like, there were so many kids that like, like my uh, my dyslexia wasn't kind of acknowledged until I was in fifth year. Mm. Fifth year is too yeah. late, you yeah. know. But in a, such a small school, I'd say it's easy to, mm. you know, kind of spot things and you, you have more attention towards yeah. the kids, which I think is amazing because yeah. if you're struggling with dyslexia or a learning difficulty, it can affect your mental health so badly. Like when yeah. you're older, like I still struggle, you know, with dyslexia. I always say oh, I'm getting more dyslexic as the day goes on. But like, I find the mental health side of it, I struggled severely because you're sitting in a class and you're going, why am I so stupid? Why can't yeah. I get this? So yeah. I think the smaller the class is, the easier it is for a teacher to
2: acknowledge that, mm. which I think is fab. Yeah. And what if there's no classes? Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> as in, and by that, I mean, there's no, there's never a time when any child is, is being expected to keep up with everyone else. Yeah. They're all working at their own. Pace. I don't know if you want to say anything about that.
4: Yeah, just I suppose the dyslexia is an interesting one because, like, we've had students come in diagnosed with dyslexia, and a lot of them be really anxious around reading and have a lot of um, mental blocks around it. And when you approach it as the first step is to kind of develop a a positive association with something, Mm. you know, I've seen young kids who you know, you, you let them pick the book. What, what are they interested in? Are they interested in Marvel? You know, you make a bowl of popcorn, you sit a group of them around and it's really about creating a really comfortable connecting experience. And then as they become relaxed around reading and are able to talk through it and are not forced to work through it, I've had a lot of people with dyslexia and a lot of anxiety end up really enjoying reading again. Mm -hmm. And same with what you're saying about if you're forced to do something like the typical subjects that people would kind of moan about if you look at maths, Irish, physics, because people aren't forced to do it. They're doing it because they've gone, looked at those subjects, said that connects to something relevant to me. I'm, I see what's interesting about that. Mm-hmm. You end up with people who are really passionate about those subjects. You know, one of the students uh, came in and he said he was nauseous whenever he'd even hear Irish because he had such a bad experience with it in school. And now he's the biggest gale goer. You know, he's doing Irish classes three days a week. He's interested in like the etymology of Irish, the history of it. He just absolutely loves it because when you respect people enough to allow them to come to it consensually, because they've logically gone, I see the value in that. That's a lot more powerful. And and then as well, the people who who don't go, I want to do that, they end up spending more time on other stuff that they're passionate about. And they're not sitting in Irish kind of dragging it down for the people who want to be there. And they're in an environment where... When they hear about irish or maths it's positive so they're more likely to come around to why it's why it's interesting so in our in our rush to say oh, our culture our heritage is really important everyone should have to do irish i think we're actually kind of killing it for people a little yeah. bit yeah
3: sure you're lear- you do the Duolingo.
1: well i wanted my daughter to like introduce irish words to my daughter whereas where i was taught in school basically the ordinary teacher in my school was a better teacher because she was like happy teaching yeah. it if that makes sense yeah like um, the energy place of love yeah, yeah the energy of a teacher I think really ma- like matters because yeah. it, it um, encourages you to work harder at it and I remember like I got an A1 in ordinary Irish which is annoying for teachers because they're like you could have got the you know you could have done higher then but I enjoyed my class it would have ruined Irish for me if I was in the higher class because it was so competitive yeah. and it wasn't enjoyable at all um but I've like lost it but I want uh, to introduce Irish words to my daughter so I go around the house being like Ishka this is water you know and it's like a fun game for her and then you yeah. sing it but there's nothing like have you heard of Miss Rachel on think, YouTube uh,
2: I've heard of her yes I she does like baby sign and stuff yeah oh yes yeah but there isn't
1: the equivalent of like an Irish one Yeah. and I've learned a lot of, like nursery rhymes from listening to these people like on the internet and because the... I'm not naturally like playful mm. whereas when I had a baby you kind of have to be because they love the melody yeah. and I have to sing to her to calm her down and um, so it's like forced me to be more playful in learning mm. so uh, it's like effectively sort of like a homeschool, which was the democratic school sounds like just a big homeschool.
2: pretty much yeah some yeah. days I feel like the old lady the old woman who lived in the shoe without the, the last <laughs> line uh yeah it's it's like we often say that to people it's we call ourselves a community but in many ways it's a family it's it's that kind of dynamic where you have the, the age range and even among the staff there's an age range and so there's there's always someone to meet the other person who needs to be met in whatever way that is or wherever that is so yeah it's the the playfulness is a huge part of it and that's something actually that just the experience of the pandemic and post pandemic was that really it took that would took us a long time to recover from once we were back in the physical space together. Um, because it's such a part a large part of how we connected with one another was playful. And I know you mentioned that quite a bit, Khalil. Um, not being able to to even high five each other or the kids as they come in, or um we were there was a lot of hugging happened in the school beforehand. It's it's, it hasn't really even come back in the to the same degree. Those kind of um, yeah, the, the playfulness that was often quite physical uh, was we've had to work hard to bring back, um, which is mm. kind of sad. But we're getting there.
1: I and betcha. I I'm confused as to how I'm trying to visualize in my head how this would look. Is it like one big classroom with all the age ranges, or is it separated into different classrooms depending on
2: which subject you're lear- learning? I mean, what's it's, the layout like? It's like okay, so this the building, the physical building, is an old school building, a really lovely building, actually, with all the original doors and tiles and stuff. Um, and it was originally divided into four pretty big rooms, one of which was the staff room, which was bigger than than where we are now. It was like and and so that would have been no-go area. Um mm. And then there was prefabs at the back. So we have six spaces and they're all multi-purpose and and but they all have room agreements of how to use the space and a primary use. So you can book spaces if you want to have a, a class but it, it genuinely is kind of like when you walk in there's couches in every hallway and room that we can get them into. It's a very social space. So it is, um, there are classes happening. You'll look through a, a window and you'll see a group of people, but they'll be sitting on couches, they won't be sitting. There's no rows of desks. Mm. Um, so yeah, classes happen much more informally. It's around the kitchen table, it's on the couches. Um, uh, there's you know, there's an art room, there's a music room, so it's it's uh, yeah, it's kind of like a, a house, like a college, nearly as well. You know, the way in, in like the, one of the colleges
3: that I was in, it was very laid back. Mm. It was like we were all, you know, sat around there was maybe t- 15 of us in a classroom and it was all very chilled out mm. you know the teacher took her shoes off when yeah. she was teaching us and it was it was my f- like being introduced to college i know everyone kind of sees on tv it's like oh it's when you're free it's when you can do what you want and that's when you can decide whether you can where whether you go to classes yeah. that's when you don't necessarily get in trouble for not yeah. going to classes so that's what i loved about college it was like the like you had the option whether yeah. to go or not but it sounds like it's like a like a college yeah, is there has, uniforms no no. Okay. No, we
2: do have um if they want we have hoodies and t-shirts that they can order if they want but and everybody does because they're really proud to. Mm. Um but it's certainly not expected to be worn.
3: Yeah. And there's no, like, you know, no piercings. You can have nail <laughs> no. varnish. You yeah. can have whatever wild whatever. hair. Yeah. See, that's the thing. Having, being, letting children being able to express themselves is a mm. huge part. Because when you're put into a classroom expected to be the exact same with everyone else, that's when, like, the demons can set in in someone's head. Because you're like, I'm not like this person. Yeah. And that you're made kind of all basically look the same. Yeah. So yeah. that's or when people can express themselves, you know, and yeah. come out more, even with other kids.
2: Yeah. Uh, and you know a, a key thing for teenagers is that finding your tribe mm. finding those other kids who like the same music as you who dress the same as you you don't get to do that in a, like my own school experience was very much that any small little way that I could you know modify my uniform and then you'd kind of go a step too far and you'd get in trouble but uh, that not having that chance to express yourself in, uh, at the point in your life when that's you're discovering who you are and it's so important, um, but yeah, no. Uh, but the we're such a small school that, um, and you have friend groups. There's a lot of interacting between different uh, groups of kids, different ages. A class will happen, and the age mix depends on who's interested. It doesn't matter what age they are. But I've I've seen so many times students sit, say two people sit at a table. Uh, studying something together, really excited about it, and looking at them, thinking in mainstream school you would not see these two people anywhere near each other. They're 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 so different. They're they dress so differently. They would be hanging out with very different groups of people, and yet here they're really good friends because they know they have this shared interest in science or whatever it is. Um, so there's that opportunity as well to sort of go beyond the. The, there's the importance of how we dress and what how we identify ourselves, but there's also all the other um relationships that we can have as well that go beyond that. Mm.
4: Uniform uniforms is an interesting one as well because mm. there's kind of two uh, interesting perspectives on uniforms. Like the one is that you know it's like it could actually be good to have uniforms because it means people aren't. You know, competing differences in social class don't become a grounds for bullying people because they can't afford as nice clothes or whatever it might be, or if they're wearing the same things again. And then the other one is that there's a lot of research to show that uniforms in any institution, whether it's schools or the army, tend to have a dehumanizing effect on how we see each other, and yeah, kind of um, suppress our individuality. But I think it's interesting in the school because because the rules are made democratically as a community what you would see is if there are issues coming up around people bullying around the clothing, that will be discussed and people have the option to make a real, oh, we're going to bring in uniforms because that's become a problem for us. Mm -hmm. But I think that hasn't come up because really, if people are bullying each other about the clothes that they're wearing, like that's a question of deficits in social and emotional learning and how people are learning to Treat each other, empathize with each other. it's not their uniform isn't really the root problem, you know it's bringing up the fact that people haven't developed those competencies. So when you have a school where people are actually there's a constant emphasis and there's time and priority put on learning how to put yourself in other people's shoes, learning how to listen, learning how to have a constructive conversation with someone you disagree with, then you tend not to if you see somebody who has less fancy clothes than you think they're worse than you, you know. So I think it kind of addresses that issue as well. It's a good example to look at it through.
2: And how do you approach bullying if it ever has
4: come up? It has, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, like there's always going to be clashes of personality. Um, A cornerstone in our school is our restorative cafe, uh, which is our conflict resolution, basically. Um, And that is where we go to resolve conflict. And by resolve, I mean to repair the harm, which is ultimately what you hope to do. Uh, we use nonviolent communication and restart a practice uh, in 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 that process. And it's kind of the the heart of the school. Um when we first started out, we were a Sudbury school. We we that that was the model we used when we started, when we first founded the school. It was a case of let's not invent the wheel, uh, reinvent the wheel. Um and it served us up to a point, but over time. We were tweaking and changing it so much that it got to the point where and that and that their justice committee, as they call it, was kind of the heart of Sudbury, and we changed it quite dramatically um and that was the moment when we realized, okay, we actually can't call ourselves Sudbury anymore; we're gonna call ourselves Wicklow democratic school so so the emphasis was much more on restorative um um processes to resolve conflict. I I have seen the most incredible uh, things happen in that space Um, kids who are learning how to mediate so there's uh, over time there's actually less and less um, time given to this space the restorative Cafe because you're seeing the kids doing it naturally themselves or they'll go they'll come in somebody will come in and go can I have one of the staff members please or they'll say to an older student I need you to resolve this conflict Uh, And they'll bring you out. And this might be a child who previously would have, their response would have been to retaliate in some way. Now they're asking for help. and But also starting to do it themselves, you know. Um, But the times when it is a bit more of a bigger issue, it's usually the interpersonal, and it could be a clash of personalities or sometimes something that happens outside of school. Um, But the way we do it is we have lots of individual conversations first we have a team of people students and staff who are trained um and to mediate lots of individual conversations will happen first to the to a point where the the two individuals feel safe to sit in a room together and discuss what happened and when you give enough time it's one thing we have an abundance of there is time we're not on anybody else's deadlines um we give the time it needs and some of the, oh, there's been one or two times when it was a bigger issue and we were able to give the time to it and to be able to sit in the room and, and see these two young people actually listen to each other and hear and really sort of put themselves in the other person's shoes. This is what it was like for me uh, when when you said these things or this is why I said these things and to be able to, because there's always something behind it mm-hmm. um, and it is so powerful to see that. I mean, like one of the more dramatic ones, it was incredible to see it end up with the two people a few weeks later to see them sitting side by side at the kitchen table having a laugh and sharing a joke about something which a few weeks before would you couldn't even imagine it happening, it's so it's very advantage. healing and yeah, it's advantage
3: having a small skill, yeah, because like, then you can notice these things, yeah,
2: yeah, but if you also have a culture where um they're able to identify it themselves, then even you could scale it up and it still work. If you have the system in place very in a very robust way and that the culture is very strong um, because the, the, stu- the kids themselves, as I said, who will ask for it, mm-hmm. you know, and then as they all learn how to do it, you're there's there's less opportunities or less times when it becomes an issue because they've stopped and listened to each other earlier. If you know what I mean. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I don't know if you want to add anything about the US Yeah, thing. I
4: just wonder if it's, like, is it because it's a small school? Like, there are democratic schools that have, you know, 200, 250 students. I think, uh, I don't think there's too many that have more than that. But I think there's a pretty good argument not to have schools larger than that. Yeah. Anyway, you know, there's a lot of research in terms of how many people can our brains integrate into a community and what is too big of a tribe for people. But you could have larger schools that are broken up into different schools um I think you know I don't do you think do you think it's because of the the size more so like in terms of ratio of students to staff and- um
2: I I do think yes when you're starting out and you're learning how to do this there's definitely it would you need to start small to get everybody sort of um trained up or it's we talk about culture quite a lot it's about creating that culture of where there's an expectation that we're going to try and resolve this. Right. We don't want to we don't want to fall out with each other. So I think um, you could over time scale it up, definitely. Or if you're setting up from scratch and you're able to go, okay, we know these things work um, and we can tweak them as needed, because that's the lovely thing. One of my favorite things about having this kind of school is I never have to say to a kid, sorry, that's just the way it is. Mm. Never. Mm. If they want to change something, they make a proposal. If I want to change something, I make a proposal. And it's up to the school community to vote on that. So um I think it it's definitely something that could scale up easily. But you need really robust things in place to as a container for that.
5: Mm.
4: Because like it's it's forty-seven students now, but they also they can roam a lot more, you know, it's not like in a yeah. standard school, that'd be two classrooms who are with a teacher all day. So if you think about schoolyard bullying, where people do the bullying when they're not being surveilled as closely, like, yes, there's a there's a timetable that we all make together democratically, there's classes, there's formal stuff going on, but essentially people, if they want, it's schoolyard all day. There's, if you're a bully, if you are looking to pick on people for whatever reason, then there's a lot more opportunity to do that um, and it's easier to kind of get away with it. So. You need to have a more strongly held culture that people aren't doing that and that student you know it's it's in some ways it's harder to notice stuff yeah. um so if you had the same culture as maybe well what i had in my school i'd say people would be pucking the head off each other all the time <laughs> yeah. you know which they were anyway <laughs> yeah. in my school yeah, that yeah, i went of to course.
3: yeah i, I never know. thought about it that way actually yeah mm. if there's a, if there's more freedom it's kind of like i can do what i want mm. you know and go around and but they don't let, they let want each other to. They don't,
2: I mean, something might be bubbling away for a little while before it comes to the surface. But the other thing is we've great relationships with the parents and we we say to them, and I had that just even this morning of uh, getting feedback from a parent about something that they'd observed or that their child was doing. And for us to be able to say, this is so helpful because the more feedback we get from parents, the more we're able to improve things. And sometimes it. It's you know it might be something that comes out at home rather than in school. And Some kids are just they just don't want. It takes a long time for them to to get over the idea of it's okay to to say something to an adult. You know to talk to an adult. They they get there eventually, but for some they're coming in with a lot of uh, fear in that in that sort of uh, those kind of circumstances. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, no, it's great. There's there's definitely a lot of um, reciprocal. Uh, feedback happening between the students and staff, but also between the students and the students, the parents and staff as well. Um, So because we have part of the picture and they have part of the picture. Mm. So that's how we improve things continually.
1: And I know it's relatively new. So do you get like people from five years onwards, like junior infants or is it people coming mostly from different schools, maybe from experiences a
2: mixture mixture. Um, because we're only in year seven now so uh, the longest now there's there's one student left who's he's 16 and he was there from the beginning so he would have been nine Um, now we have kids sort of five and six and the lovely thing is they will grow up in that culture yeah it is tough for some kids some older kids when they come in there there's a sigh of relief their whole nervous system relaxes you know and then for others, there's still a lot of triggers, a lot of um, getting used to. Uh, oh, so my sense of humor, where I slag other people, no one like I'm not met on that. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay, <laughs> and now I have to recalibrate myself. And how do I interact with people because I can't take the piss out of people, basically? Mm. Um, so um, yeah, that that it, it's they're all coming in at different levels, but each because we are small and each student has a one staff member that's kind of their connection person, um, there's opportunities for sort of, you know, check-ins and seeing how's, it's, how's, how's it going. And then, but also the staff are always talking to each other as well about things that we observe. Um, just so you're building a picture of each child to see, okay, where did, where do they need support? Yeah. And, and how do we step in then? Or how, where do we just stand back and let them figure it out?
1: And did you both come from mainstream education and then start this?
2: Did you know each other beforehand? Nope.
4: Or did why... know each other we, we had started, met
2: before. Yeah. Yes, but, but
4: through this kind of through stuff, through this yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah.
2: Okay. So when you say as in, do you mean teaching? Yeah. T- did you, uh, how did you come up with the idea, basically? Or like, where did it come from? They're all over the world, Yeah. except Ireland up to now. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we catch up eventually. We're always paddy last. Um, yeah, they're all over all over the world. And I had seen a video somebody posted of one in school in England. And I was just blown away. And I cause I have four kids and they were all struggling in school for very different reasons, different personalities, different difficulties. And this came along and I had this sort of sense of well, the first thing I did was start talking to whoever would listen and found other people who were like, Yeah, me too. And just started and realized if we want to do something we can't wait for someone else so let's just do this um and we were literally we often use the analogy of building the plane while you fly it that's literally how we did it um you had a different you came to it much younger than me it was for me it was through my kids
4: yeah i just um in secondary school i suppose i just thought it's this really the best way we can organize ourselves to like develop our collective potential. You know, you saw a lot of people depressed, you saw a lot of people, even the people who were into learning, they were really into like doing what they're told to get the grades. It just seemed like we can do so much better together. There's so much more in us um, and it could be more caring and it could be more tailored to how different people are different and not so much one size fits all. Um, so for me, yeah, it was about answering the question of, well, what is a better way look like. It's not an easy question to answer. And even listening to the, you know, we can, yeah, a lot of schools like this are small. And mm. I think it's really important for schools like this to discuss and work on, well, how can you scale up an approach like this? And I think a lot of it comes down to weaving skills through the the students so they can mutually support each other so that it's uh, not one person at the top of the room transmitting mm. to 30 people. It's 31 people all like kind of growing day by day supporting each other um we also bring the parents in a lot uh in terms of you know historically a lot of education systems were much more interwoven with the community it's a relatively recent uh phenomenon where schools are kind of a factory mm-hmm. outside of communities where we send kids and then reintegrate them after so whereas the staff are more kind of coaches and mentor figures and we all have our own expertise as well then we have a lot of um parents and people from the local community who might be coming in doing uh you know working in the workshop outside or helping with stuff like that so it's it's a different Mm -hmm. answer to because schools are basically an answer to the question of okay how do we prepare people to be fulfilled and competent adults and how do we integrate them into society um so it's a different you know are schools the best way we can do that or is there are there better ways we can do that um so yeah just trying to figure that out i think
2: yeah, because I think one of the things people often say are those kind of knee-jerk things like, you yeah, get back from people." Oh, yeah. How, so, but you're not getting a realistic uh, sort of uh, experience of society. How do you How do you go out into the world and?
1: But that is realistic. The mediating, it, your start of justice, like that yeah. is
2: tools to be able to yeah. communicate
1: with your society and the people around you. Yeah. Whereas when you're in, you're thrown into secondary school, it's like I'm yeah. an adult. Shut your mouth. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Whereas, yeah, then you're in the real world, and you ha- you're allowed to have your own opinions. And yeah. I'm still like, I'm still scared of teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. No.
2: Yeah. But it's you'd be amazed the number of people who will have this idea that, uh that's that's in a bubble, and you're you're not learning about real life. That you know, the tough things of failing and getting knocked down. Like if anything, that is exactly what happens here, you know, because it's by trying and, you know, coming up with something that you want to do, trying to do it, it doesn't work out. Well then you try again. Like and if you're in a supportive environment, you could you that is what we that is what we want our students, that their knee jerk, their knee-jerk reaction is, oh crap, that didn't work. Okay let's try it this way or let's go again or actually do I even really want to do this maybe not um so I'm going off on a tangent here uh, away from your original question but it, you I know
4: it, sorry yeah
2: <laughs> but yeah no it is it is very much real life experience in a in a really they're learning all of this in a very safe well-held environment and the tools they come out with you know, the the all the academic stuff that'll come. That'll like mm. you know if they if they want to pursue that they will. But what they what they are leaving with, um, and many of them do like they're. We've had students do Open University degrees, at fourteen fifteen. We have people doing all kinds of online courses before they even leave school. Um, so it's not that they're they're certainly learning, but they're all doing it in the, their own way, the way that suits how they learn as well. I mean, you you talked to Emer about being dyslexic and. Mm. Having those kind of different difficulties, but like to be able to learn, one of the stories we often tell is um, one student who at nine was was dyslexic, but actually, you know, by setting themselves a project of writing a dinosaur encyclopedia, they, we thought they were doing an encyclopedia. They were actually teaching themselves to read because by the end of it, having done this six or eight months intensive focus on this dinosaur project. They were able to read. They weren't flipping the numbers around, the numbers and letters around anymore. And the way they learned was watching Walking with Dinosaurs, transcribing from books into a notebook, doing these, The drawings were incredible, um, but also playing a, a game on their iPad and uh, visiting museums. So it was a very um holistic way of learning they were taking in bits and pieces from so many different ways it wasn't the books were there Mm. you know and that was where they learned they they were copying all these words that were like 12 letters long that I couldn't even pronounce but at the end of it all they were reading they're still a reluctant reader now as a teenager but they can read and they did that by immersing themselves in so it was like some deeper part of themselves knew I want I need to learn how to read so I better make it interesting Mm -hmm. and they found something they were really passionate about and just went for it it was quite amazing to see Mm.
3: and do you have like classes like with obviously the size of the school would you have you know classes separate for people who would learn difficulties or yeah how do you accommodate for that you've done a bit of Yeah,
4: yeah so there is Um, We try to be as research-based as we possibly can. One of the things about education is a lot of it is not settled science, like there needs to be more research or there's stuff that's disputed, but with learning to read. So, you know, there's kind of two main approaches. One is like a, a rote learning, memorizing phonics, kind of from cat, bat, hat, like sheets and stuff like that. And then the other main one is called whole language. And it's about learning that stuff in context, trying to give people stories that are interesting. And then you do the phonics as it comes up in context with those stories. But so a lot of the conversations, people debating with each other about which one of those methods is better. uh, But neither of them actually work for everyone. Like 80% of people is about the best that any one reading method does in terms of success rate. And where people are kind of looking now in terms of academic researchers around reading is like, oh, reading is actually this really complex uh, thing that people learn. We don't fully understand how it happens. So what we need to do is we need to be tailor. instead of one method for everyone, we need to be tailoring it to each person and not just to each person and how they're different, but how they're different from Monday to Friday or how they're different when they're hungry or they're thirsty. And maybe we need to give somebody a break for six weeks and just step away from it and decompress from the reading. Maybe now some people You know, there's research into how homeschoolers have learned to read. Some people, they learn with material that's way above their age level. Some people are better off with something lower. Some people learn from playing Pokemon. Actually, a really weird amount of people learn to read from (laughs) playing Pokemon. Um, And so what it looks like is that the best way to help people learn to read is to really, uh, you get to know them, essentially. You get to know them, what they're about, and it's a conversation, and you try different things, and you iterate um, so that's our approach to reading. So it is different. Even within a class that's about reading, it's going to be tailored to each person. Um, and sometimes a class about reading isn't the best way to learn to read. It's doing other classes that have literacy involved and weaving it through there. It's about having stuff up in the walls. It's about seeing that other people are reading. You know, sometimes people... Um, including people with dyslexia, the biggest obstacle to them learning to read is that it hasn't become apparent why reading is a relevant skill to them. You know, when people realize, oh, if I want to take part in this uh, group or this community, I need this skill to be able to fully take part. And suddenly when the motivation kicks in, it becomes a lot easier. Um, so sometimes it's like, let them follow their interests and eventually something is going to take you to to literacy. literacy. So, um, like that that seems to be right now the, the consensus around dyslexia well actually there's no consensus about reading instruction it's it's really people aren't even nice to each other they can't uh, agree or disagree nicely um, but what it seems like is, is the best approach is to go individually there isn't like a way to teach people with dyslexia mm. do you know what I mean
3: Yeah, it's just giving Mm -hmm. that extra time and giving them the, like having patience, I think is was a huge thing. Like with um, having dyscalculia as well. Mm -hmm. Like maths is like, there's a right answer. If you're not getting Mm -hmm. the right answer, it's like, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And there's no, it's, there's no patience there. There was never patience for me, which I didn't, didn't even know what dyscalculia was until I was in fifth year. And your man did the test with me and he goes, hang on a minute. Like you have dyscalculia and dyslexia. I'm like, that's what's wrong with me because maths class never made sense to me. But I find that like, there was no patience for us. And like, I did foundation level maths Mm -hmm. and I didn't have a class. I still had a syllabus to learn, but my school didn't accommodate foundation level maths. So... I, because it was, you know, foundation level, it was like, oh, she, she'll, she'll do fine. She'll learn, she'll, she'll figure it out. When it's like, no, there's always still a right answer for maths. Like, it's not just kind of maybe, like maybe with English class having dyslexia, it's like you can say something and, you know, not necessarily they can disagree with you, but you have way more of a broad, you know, opening to yeah. something. They can ask you a question and you can kind of go off on a tangent. But like with maths, it was just like, black or white like there's a right answer but there was no patience there Mm -hmm. so doing extra classes and stuff wasn't a thing in my school so it's it's nice to hear that you kind of adapt to having the patience and if the, if the child is struggling you give them a few weeks off and you're like no no, no take your time because it's stressful it's yeah. stressful not getting the right answer yeah. you know with a lot of things with life yeah. if we want to go that far with life it's stressful <laughs> but especially with maths it's like okay well and it's that feeling of I well I'll never be able to do this and that's when kids shut off that's when I shut off I was like I'll never be able to do this it's mm-hmm. fifth year now going into sixth year I can't I can't do this so I did shut off and I did kind of resist anything where I didn't
2: put my head down I didn't want to learn because yeah. I was like it's too late now, you know, and the effect that that has on you, on in terms of your self esteem and your confidence, or your your trust in yourself, that, mm. that feeling of, okay, well there must be something wrong because that that was very similar to my experience, and and just that feeling of, well, I know I I I'm not stupid, but I can't do what they expect me to do or they want me to do, so there must be something wrong, and then mm. that feeling of always being slightly, just not quite right um are are not quite fitting in. It's it's a very lonely place for a child to be. Mm. Um, but if you if you're coming to maths or reading from a place of, as Khalil said, that desire to to want, the want is there and you can see a reason for it, it's very different. So if a child is learning maths by going to the shop with their two euro to see what what how much can I get for this or if I buy that, how much change will I have? And then can I get that? Or if they're doing maths by baking or, you know, figuring out their skateboard jump and the elevation and whatever it is, um, that's all the kind of invisible mathematics that happens. And then if you have an opportunity to sit down with somebody and it's playful and fun and you realize, actually, I'm quite interested in numbers or this is not for me. I, I'm I'm more interested in this other stuff over here. So I'm going to put my time and effort into that. I believe that in life we learn the things that some for some things, it's okay to learn them as you need them, mm. instead of ne- learning them in case you need them.
3: Yeah.
1: You know.
2: How so do you that,
3: do the exams then?
2: I need a break. I need to go to the bathroom. You sorry. need to.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have no pelvic floor. <laughs>
4: does of research thing. like that teenagers they Have a different circadian rhythm and they should be able to start later. Like the nine o'clock yeah, start the is The nine more o'clock for start is ridiculous. Oh, yeah, they,
1: I've heard that. They yeah. need to sleep longer. And yeah. it's patriarchal as well, to be on a circadian rhythm, because women don't oh, operate on a circadian ryth-
3: rhythm at all. Oh. We were saying about the exams. Oh,
2: yeah. Sorry. I mm-hmm. wanted to ask that as well. Yeah. Do you, yeah is there, you. <laughs> are there other are exams in the school? No, is the short answer. Uh, actually, Khalil, you can.
4: Okay, so people can do their Leaving Cert um, if they want. Uh, but there's also QQI. Do you remember um, FITAC, the FITAC Level yeah. 5 of course? So they're called QQI now. So basically you do a year of Level 5, FETAC Leaving Cert is Level 5 as well. And you pick a subject that you're interested in and it's project-based. It doesn't take over your life for two years. It doesn't mean you have to do subjects that aren't relevant to what you want to do. So while people can choose one or the other... Um, the only time people don't choose a QQI tends to be some people do A-levels because it's just the three exams. It's the three subjects and you can, when it's only three, you can pick three that you're interested in doing. So some mm. people do do A-levels. Um,
2: that would be online. I, I don't know if any of ours actually...
4: Do the A-levels? do it. Um, one student did the A-levels. Some other people started and were kind of doing them because they were mm. interested but ended up doing QQI as well. Yeah.
2: Um, we We've, over the years... We've had students, um, say you, you have teenagers coming in, they can't be in school anymore. And they find our school and they come in and they're like, yeah, but I still want to do the Leaving Cert. And we're like, okay. And with this one student who went on to do the Leaving Cert, he he graduated and then spent a year at home studying the Leaving Cert with his mom, and did it online, or did it in a local exam centre, I think. All the other students have... Pretty much all of them have said three months in. They're like, what, why would it? No, I don't want to do that even search, you know, because it is they are getting focused. They are discovering those things that they want to spend their time doing. Um, so all of our graduates have gone on to further education. Uh, some of them go on to third level. Uh, some have launched careers or done a second year in the QQI and further, further education. So there's there's no reason they can't go on to third level. Um, but you don't need the Leaving Cert to do that.
3: Mm.
1: And are there requirements for you as a school that you have to teach your students to stay open?
4: So no. um, Tusla uh, inspect us. yeah, And uh, they come in and they see what we're doing and they really like what we're doing. And if you read Tusla's kind of uh, manifesto, no, that's the wrong word, but their documents of what they're about. Um, it's really in line with being child centered, listening mm. more to children's needs so they were actually really they're pretty excited when they come in and they just come in and say are we doing a sufficient standard of education and and we are so yeah there's no
2: they don't have any uh it's quite vague uh I can't remember the wording exactly but it's something like um something standard um but it's it's not defined in any way really they just want to see that the kids are learning something mm. we give them a list of all the classes that have happened that year and they go great this looks brilliant mm. so so we're not um, we're not uh, sort of beholden to anyone in the sense of like say in Germany you can only have these or I think it's not as strict in France but some of the other countries I know definitely Germany um, they can only have these schools if the kids sit exams at the end Okay, which kind of Defeats the purpose. Yeah but, yeah, completely. yeah, but we're lucky here we don't have that. It's in our constitution that parents are responsible for the children's education, not the state. Okay. So that that's why it's so easy to homeschool here compared to other countries. But um but you still we're all the kids are registered with TUSLA through us. If you're homeschooling, you register with Tusla. Um so they do, you know, we are registered, we're recognized. Um, what do they call it? An independent school. It used to be a non-rec nice school or something like that anyway we're officially an independent school Mm. registered with TUSLA
1: and I know there can be an issue with accessibility with a school like this yeah um I probably won't be able to even afford to live in Dublin or anywhere near Wicklow probably I'll have to buy a house in the arse end of nowhere Mm. or like yeah hopefully if I can at some stage um so is there any way that you're like maybe communicating with um people in government to make legislation around schooling as a whole uh, different or changed in mainstream education mm. as well? So, or if there's ways, I know maybe teachers will probably listen to this podcast. Are there ways that teachers in mainstream education can implement sort of like the ideology of the democratic school in their teaching as well?
4: Mm. In ter- yeah, long-term, I think, I mean, the, if you're looking at having, a, a you know, your ideal education system, the theory of change isn't create a million tiny democratic schools really you're just trying to create models that ripple into those conversations and Mm. then mainstream public you know tax-funded education becomes more tailored to each child so yeah I think that's really important um so there is kind of a long-term plan in terms of how how that's going to happen and part of that is you're you're pretty full with running the school because if you're a, a facilitator in the school You know, in a mainstream school, you've, you've your, well, they are underfunded and it's also a problem there, Mm. but you've your, uh, secretarial staff, you've your cleaning staff, you've your, your bus staff, you've your, your groundskeeper, your janitor to do all of that. Whereas if you're a teacher in a democratic school now, you, you're doing all of that. Mm. You're doing everything. Um, and I think because it's so new, you know, we're five or six years in, so we're focused on growing to a, a larger number of students. We're focused on getting everyone You know, I think we've had great results, and people have really thrived and been fulfilled coming out of their time in the school. Even though we have a huge amount of capacity to implement the approach, we're doing better. We have Mm -hmm. loads of capacity to do what we're doing better, to to spread it around to all of the students, so that that full understanding is there for everyone to how to help each other, to get parents involved more. So, we're for now, I think we're we're a little bit focused on on growing, on being excellent at what we're doing even though just being pretty good at it seems to get a a big improvement in results and we also have some insecurity around our our building which could be sold uh anytime
2: oh no Um, okay
4: so we're looking at we have to to make sure that we we fundraise either to be able to buy the building we're in or uh, if we're not on time for that to be able to buy and build our own kind of purpose-built thing um but yeah I think in the next uh year or two. We do have conversations. We have conversations like this with politicians sometimes, but getting more focused in terms of um lobbying and looking for policy changes. It's definitely in the five year plan, but maybe over the next year or two. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that's that's the plan for sure.
2: And we we have uh, because there's a school in Sligo now as well, and there's one in West Cork and there's another three or four in the works around the country. So and we have a sort of an umbrella organization, Democratic Education Ireland. And that is one of the things it's it hasn't we haven't started doing it yet, but it's definitely something we all want to do collectively to put a bit of pressure on because uh, it's not right that the taxpayers' money that goes per student to every school doesn't go to schools like ours or to parents if they're homeschooling. We're yeah. still having to spend money. We're still we're still having to pay wages, um, and there's no money from anywhere other than self-funded um, self-funding by the parents. So, but mm.
4: well, particularly when you look not at ideal. there's 60 private schools in Ireland, and on average they get two million euro of funding from the government each. Mm. Uh, really? Yeah. Yeah
0: yeah what
2: and yeah.
4: where
0: does it go yeah like, I think oh I've gone God. back to
4: that article about three times ago. go is that really the figure Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know
1: I went to a private school for three years and I know that there were certain buildings in our school that would you know the parents yeah. donated or funded them and yeah. so it was named after them mm-hmm. but yeah. they were already getting funds from students and now the two million from mm-hmm. the government it's like where where is it going
4: yeah, yeah. so ideally maybe we we would get because the worry you see a lot of movements get co-opted when You know, it actually happened to, um, was it the the Steiner schools in Ireland? Um,
2: One of them anyway.
4: Or no, not Steiner. Uh, Yeah, Steiner, it happened a little bit to Educate Together as well, where when they got uh, more state support, uh, came with strings attached, you know. So the worry is that if we were to get state support too soon, and then we get that and someone's on board, and then there's maybe they leave and someone else comes in and suddenly we're, we're beholden. You know, okay, and we yeah. get um, so we have to. You know, I think you have to enter into mm. an agreement like that from a position of strength, where more people get what you're doing. Where if they kind of, mm. I mean, I would go into any conversation with good faith, and I think we have a lot of good politicians in Ireland, and mm. and I think most people, most people in education wanted to change. You know, you've had about three ministers for education in a row say the Leaving Cert doesn't really work, and we need to change it. Uh, the colleges are all a bit annoyed at it. Lots of teachers are annoyed at our, at our open days. The second biggest attendance after teacher after parents is uh, teachers coming just to see what it's about and going, "Yeah, I'm so I'm so obsessed. My my head is so wrecked from teaching in schools because I'm just mm. I can't help the kids or they're just not mm. happy and I can't do anything in the the system that I'm in." Um, so I'd be really optimistic about the capacity for a lot of change, but I think if you try and do it too soon that could be a big mistake because you could, Mm. all the work Mm. that you've done to that point could get erased very easily, you know?
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And were you both working in mainstream education before the, no? No, I'm an artist. Okay. (laughs) Community art is my background. (laughs) Okay. Because I was going to ask if there's any differences, like if you're working in mainstream education, I'd say there's a huge, has a huge impact maybe on other staff that work in the democratic schools because it can be so repetitive and monotonous and like kind of hopeless if you're a teacher Mm -hmm. in, like a huge secondary school and you don't even get to have a good relationship or rapport with the students or feel like you're making a difference and you know being a teacher is such a vocational career and you want to see a difference like that is a teacher is probably the most important job that you have like shaping minds of the youth and all um but uh yeah so I I suppose my question then is redundant because I wanted to know if there's any differences (laughs) but um maybe before uh have you noticed um Did your
2: children go to the school as well? My two
1: younger ones did, yeah. Okay, and were they in mainstream education before?
2: Yeah, so all four went through primary school. Well, no, actually the youngest, the year the school opened, he was in third class, finished third class. So he was, um, but the other three all went through primary school. Yeah. My oldest is the only one who went all the way through secondary school as well. My daughter, sort of from third year onwards, was out more than in, so ended up leaving in fifth year so the younger two then were in the school one um sort of from nine and then the other uh he was there for what would have been his secondary school years
1: yeah yeah and you notice a difference from your children and how maybe it affected their self-esteem and maybe you don't want to go yeah. into too much detail and no
2: further <laughs> they might approach. be listening yeah. <laughs> uh, I know I know my daughter will be listening um uh, definitely definitely yeah. um I mean it's it's a tough It's it has its own challenges being in this kind of school because you're you are being sort of given the responsibility for with support obviously but it's quite a big thing to take that responsibility when you're young yeah. or to learn to begin to learn how to to take control of your life to decide what you want to give your time to um, definitely uh, between I've, I think the younger ones are definitely more um, sort of the ones who went to the to the Democratic school, they're definitely more um, sort of uh, comfortable with just doing what they feel like doing or what they want to do rather than what they should be doing kind of thing. Mm. Um, it's, I suppose it's a question I should ask them all, in fact. But I think uh, having that um, vision and even though sort of my second youngest who only graduated in June And he's he's one of our only graduates, I think, who didn't go on to further education because he went traveling. He's doing lots of different things. He's certainly not not doing anything. He's so busy, too busy to go to college or to figure out if he wants to go to college. I'm sure he will at some point. But um, I think there's there's definitely maybe and it could be a life stage thing as well. With the older two, they're in their mid 20s. Uh, I think there's worries around hitting milestones and what I should be doing at this age mm. um, and more uncertainty there. I don't know if the, if that's anything to do with them having been in the school or not have been in the school. Might just be the stage of life they're at. Yeah. But um, the younger two are definitely have a much more clear vision of where they are going. Mm. Um, and again, that could be just their age. But yeah, they certainly seem to be more confident in that way. Do yeah. you yeah. do sports as well, actually? Yeah. 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 Is there teams and everything? There isn't enough for for yeah, teams um, in the formal sense yet. Yeah. But there's definitely aspirations. Yeah,
4: there's sports club. People are into basketball. There's a lot of basketball. People like rugby. People like mm-hmm. make up their own. Volleyball was huge for a while. You, got, you had four kids who were determined to become professional volleyball players. They were <laughs> watching YouTube videos. They were coaching everyone. They are watching volleyball anime they're watching documentaries (laughs) they're just like for for a few weeks there they were essentially living the life of professional volleyball players every waking moment but you know that's that I remember talking to their parents about that because during that period there was a bit of concern like oh you know I'd like them to be into this like to them to be into that and it was like right now they're organizing their day they're planning they're researching they're looking for that one percent improvement everything they're so in flow they're so immersed that experience is transferable to everything else. Mm. This is absolutely a gold mine for everything else they're going to do in their life. They've had this experience. Some people never experience yeah. what they're going through right now. Mm. And like, this is this is gold dust for the things mm. you're worried about. This will help. You. Yeah. Like, it's not traditional to see how, but like it really will. Yeah. yeah. That's
3: amazing.
4: Mm.
1: And what are the, um, this was the most asked question. I already said this to you before we were recording, but what would be the qualifications needed for someone to work in the school or what would you be looking for, like for an, in a teacher to come work in the school?
4: Yeah. So we've had a number of staff who are qualified teachers, but a lot of people who, their background is different. Everyone brings their own expertise. We've had, um, a guy who runs a very successful accounting company, um, who's an accountant. We have, um, you're an artist and community organizer as well you undersold yourself a bit on that part I think um, myself I did journalism and then I did equality studies in UCD and now I'm doing my doctorate doctorate in social policy so there'd be a lot of academic stuff there that I could bring we have people who worked in a lot of NGOs like LGBT Ireland and stuff forest, um, school. forest school yeah so essentially when we're hiring someone first of all we're looking you know the 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 baseline thing is what is their outlook on how people learn? How do they see mm-hmm. young people? How can they interact with people? Do they have that balance of empathizing, connecting, holding boundaries, and respectful? Way? That's the bare minimum. So you're you're kind of sussing out their their people skills, really, in that way. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's like, what's the gap we have in our in our team, in our environment? You know, a lot of those gaps, you can go to your community of parents or local community and say, can someone come in and do this? Um, you know maybe a creative writing course you know there might be someone there one of the staff who did a really good creative writing course or art course but we need to shift their priorities to something else so we might bring someone else there but if you're looking at a permanent staff you know different times it could be okay do you have value to bring um you know at times having a teaching qualification has been the thing we've looked for because <laughs>
1: sometimes we look like, yeah, yeah yeah because
4: yeah. on the one hand if you're looking to reform the education system yeah and if you're running a school where you have teachers coming to you and saying god our teacher training was awful I mean then <laughs> do you want that teacher training to be the thing you're predicating hiring on not yeah, really yeah, if you're yeah. changing the thing of
1: course
4: um but sometimes it's really important I think to have that perspective as well you mm-hmm. know and really value that other times it's uh even like the the age and energy, you know. Sometimes, you know, we felt, oh, we don't have a, a younger staff member who um is really connecting with the younger kids there. So maybe, provided they're really good at other things, they've got organisational skills and all of that stuff, that could be something that realistically is the thing that mm. that steps up the the impact your team is having. So it's it's really situational and dependent on on where you're mm. at. Would you add anything? Yeah, yeah.
2: No, it's it's very diverse. Um, I think in our experience people who do have a traditional teaching background it can be very challenging coming into our environment because it's it seems so kind of on um I don't know what the word is that the because you're not there isn't really an opportunity if you you might have an idea for a class you want to teach but if no one wants to do it there's nothing you can do about it yeah you just have to accept that or you might have two or three who show up but um If they want to, you have to, they have to want a class where you're teaching, where you're standing at the top of the room. And and we do have that in certain instances. That's what's needed. Um, But it can be very challenging for somebody who they're used to. They've been trained that this is how we teach. That can be very challenging yeah and what into. if
1: someone come like a student comes forward and they're really interested in say environmental science but there's no one who specialized that it's like a staff member who specialized in that do you are you essentially le- learning with the students then or do you get an expert in
4: a bit of both so as a as a facilitator the thing you have your bread and butter what you have to be excellent at is showing people you know, you're not telling them what to think or what to know. You're showing them how do you learn? You know, how okay. do you stay motivated? How do you stay organized? Where can you find information? Whatever the information it, uh, that you need is. Mm. How can you tap into the community around you um, and, and helping? So the idea there is that you can set people on their skates, no matter what it is uh, that they want to learn. Then straight away, I would be getting onto like the parent group as well, saying I know the parents, you know, who might be good for that. Um, you'd be looking at possibly you might uh, I mean there's a lot of online courses Mm. you might contact someone separately and look for someone to bring them in Um, you might talk to somebody about a project that they could do or something that they could write that having done something then that's going to connect them into other people who are interested in that so I mean like any school you're never going to have the resources to optimally Mm. cater to every single thing that anybody wants to do but Actually, I think, uh, you know, that's kind of our specialty is being reactive, irrespective of what our initial capacity is to address that and kind of reorganizing ourselves to address it. Um, it's
2: also, um, you've just, what you've just described there, Khalil, is very, it's a good um, overview of, you know, we have this, the different ways of learning. It's like I described the Dinosaur Project, that that he, he got his, his resources were so many different 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 types of resources, of ways of getting the information in. So uh, there's a lot of really amazing online courses now that a student might do. somebody some kids just really love working their way through textbooks. and there some so some people are doing that. They get school textbooks, college textbooks, and they work their way through it. and um other people might be doing an online course. And then, yeah, supplemented with work experience, somebody coming in giving a class like Khalil described. So you, you've, there's actually a lot more to work with. The child studying environmental science with 30 other people who are also studying the same course and they have their book that they're working their way through. Um, the ones who are really interested will go off and find other resources for themselves. But a lot of the time it's like, okay, I've done that chapter, close the book and go on to the next subject. Um, and forget about it essentially. Yeah. yeah, so it's a very rich way of, of learning something and different things will stick depending on how you inc- incorporate them into yourself you know that there's the watching the movie or the documentary and the reading the book and the talking to a person um yeah it's all it's all adding to a very rich learning experience mm.
4: i suppose Mark because that was a bit abstract a concrete example would be um lately we had a few uh older boys join who are really interested in construction and woodwork and metalwork and we have a, a shed with a wood workshop and um it's grand but for if there's people who are really into it you know you could really um improve it so uh you know there's one boy joining who's interested in that there's one guy who's just got into that there's um another girl who's in there all the time as well. So I'll be going off to the men's shed. There's a local men's shed that I'll go to tomorrow and I'm going to talk to them about coming down and uh, working with those students to make a really good uh, workshop there and kind of work on projects with them. Or similarly, um, this week as well, I noticed last week, there's a few students getting into coding. I know a local organization that does coding workshops. I know somebody in it. So I'll, I'll get on to them and talk about make something making something happen there as well. So it is about, um, yeah, mobilizing the local community. Um, yeah, has that answered, is that yeah, clear? No, that's yeah. amazing.
3: Yeah. yeah, it's like showing that you care. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's showing that you care though. That's the most important thing. I'm like getting everything. really emotional that I it's actually making me upset that I didn't have this as a child yeah same you know? I'm like oh my god fuck sake like <laughs> I would have been so much better in school <laughs> but at least we know for our kids because no. I
1: remember being a child and you get one singular because I have ADHD so I would like pick up five hobbies in one week and but I didn't have the time you know because yeah. I'd be so upset and stressed trying to Excel in school at the same time because I was obsessed with getting approval of my parents. Mm -hmm. So I'd want to, because obviously the only way that translates from approval in like a normal setting is like getting good grades, you know, if you're in school. Um, and I, like they wouldn't care necessarily if I was like, I'm really interested, you know, in poetry at the moment. They'd just be like, well, how are you, your, how are you getting on your leaving sir? you know? Yeah. Um, and I just be like, oh, it doesn't matter. Um, so yeah, I feel like if I had the opportunity to have the space to, um, you know, focus on one thing that I was interested in, I would know what I want to do now, but like I'm 25 and I'm still, I have no idea what I'm doing or like, I don't know what I'm interested in either because I wasn't mm. given the space to like work on it or something.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so most people, uh, it's when we leave school. In fact, it's when we leave college. For those of us that go to college, then it's like, OK, now what? Like, oh, and or you might hit your late 20s when you've done your degree and you've been working for a few years and then suddenly you're like, is this what I want to do? You know, and the, and then the, the doubt comes in. Like, but imagine getting to that Getting to do that before you ever even leave school, Mm. trying things and not being told stop reading poetry because you have to study maths because you have to pass that or stop doing that subject you really love doing because you also need to pass this other one. I know you don't ever want to, you won't ever need it again, but it doesn't matter. You have to do it Um, to just be able to deep dive into poetry or whatever it is, because that is meeting some need in you at that moment. That that you really need, and that example of the the lads with their volleyball, like in those moments where parents might be going, oh, but like, but what are they doing? <laughs> you know, uh, and we all have wobbly moments I I don't anymore, but even certainly the early years, there was moments of, oh my god, is this am we, are, is this are we mad? Like you know, and then you look around the world and go, no, this has been around for a hundred years, and there's fifty years worth of studies and um. And being reassured just by the evidence before before you. But um I've lost my train of thought now. <laughs> uh, yes, the deep the deep diving, the mm. the getting really passionate. And and that was a really beautiful description of what that looks like, Khalil, because they there there's so much invisible learning that's happening and skills that they're gaining in those moments. And like to stop people doing that just feels wrong you know we all do that once we go out into the world we do that anyway once whatever our job is there will always be that thing on the side that we're really into and we give loads all our spare time to um, if we're lucky and if we don't have that we feel the 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 loss of it um, but yeah there's something very uh, unknowable or undefinable allowing children to do that because they do it when they're little and they to be allowed to continue to do that it's pretty special mm yeah
3: amazing I, I love it i yes. think that's i think we've we've asked oh, all the questions oh geez so. we're very over time <laughs> we were oh immersed in that conversation
1: <laughs> thank that's you like an thank have. you so much for <laughs>
5: coming on thank you so much thanks guys and us. i'll link you in
1: the description and all that okay thank you, <laughs> thank thanks thanks
5: you. Cheers. everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in.